Welcome to Better Words, a podcast for readers who want to know the stories behind the pages. We're your hosts, Caitlin and Michelle, two book nerds who bring you in-depth conversations about writing and publishing from those on the inside. Basically, we're just here to talk about books. We're so glad you're joining us. Welcome back to Better Words. Thank you so much for joining us. I sometimes can't believe how long we've been doing this. Um, and I know <laughs> we love doing intros that are really awkward for us. <laughs> yeah, like I, we've been doing this podcast for four years. You know, we celebrated our little birthday a couple of months ago. And yet still, every time we come on to do an intro, we sit here in silence for a second, which Michelle cuts out. And then one of us goes, uh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> Why aren't we better oh, at this part? But anyway. I know, it's so awkward. It's so The things no one tells you about starting a podcast is how awkward this bit is. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, um, how are you? How is your September step thing going? Oh, okay. So pretty good, I think. I still struggle to get 10,000 steps on a weekday because like of a full-time job and doing other things and I'm at home and everything you know so like I walked to the post office before we're recording this at lunchtime today so should I do another live step check yes. all I've done is walk to the post office pick up some books which is very exciting of course 2,100 so steps I even That's live really wonderful. close to the post office like <laughs> there's nowhere to walk to just aimlessly wandering around to try and get the steps up but um I have decided that I want to complete the 300,000 steps. That is the challenge, obviously, is to do them in September um, for September for the Cerebral Palsy Alliance. But I think I'm going to get pretty close. And so if it's an extra few days, I'm determined to finish the 300,000 steps. Very nice. I love that. Um, I've, I've just cut out a bit that was me running to the windows and, and shutting them because it's like blowing a gale today. It's so windy so if you hear any bumps in this it's parts of my old house just, just like doors shaking around yeah no <laughs> honestly it's it's um because obviously I haven't I haven't left this room where we're recording but I have some doors on the other side of this wall that that may may bump um from the wind because they don't close properly because it's an old house anyway god what a boring story that was um we've been renovating or starting to renovate this bloody old house and I cannot wait to sell it um (laughs) it's it's gonna be it's gonna be very annoying and um fun fact for everyone Caitlin's dad has been here fixing up my plumbing yay he's pretty handy (laughs) (laughs) yeah he is um anyway on to today's episode we are each recommending a book today so Caitlin would you like to go first (laughs) sure um so it's funny hearing you talk about how windy it is in Rocky and everything and because I feel like I can't help associate summer with um potentially windy cyclones um but I I'm just so excited actually for summer to be here and I'm not. It's way too hot. <laughs> you need to reacclimatize. But I'm so excited about summer. Um, I feel like I have been kind of in the back of my mind. I've been waiting for it because in my mind, God, I hope so. I'll be out of lockdown and I can like go to the beach and go to pools and go for a swim. And so I really, really enjoyed 
maybe so, so maybe one day we'll actually get to be reunited I know we'll go to, <laughs> I know because I also stumbled across pictures of us on Great Keppel Island the other day and I was like wow that was a while ago oh that was so long ago I yeah. hope you get to come home for Christmas me too I'm just up the road so yeah I yeah. know <laughs> me too so yeah but anyway I'm really looking forward to you know some summer sun and going for a swim and I just I almost wish that I hadn't read this book and that I read it by the pool but my recommendation for everyone is The Deep End by Jenna Guillaume, which is a special novella for the Australia Reads campaign. The cover is awesome. It's like glistening, you know, pool water, like moving and shimmering under the sun, I suppose. Um, And then the title, almost like it's painted on the bottom of the pool or something, is it's so excellent. Even though it is about a girl who does not know how to swim um, and after Rosie really humiliates herself at the school swimming carnival, um, which I also related to. I'm not a very good swimmer. I like sitting yeah. in the water. But... <laughs> swimming carnivals are a no from me. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> I, went to a, I went to most of them, I think. But if I competed at all, it was like the pool noodle race, you know, like the fun <laughs> ones. Um, yeah. Although technically I suppose I can swim, uh, whereas Rosie cannot swim. <laughs> um, but after... You know, she's forced to enter a race. It's compulsory that everyone has to do at least one at the swimming carnival. And she humiliates herself because she doesn't know how to swim very well. Enter Jake. I don't know if he's like what his exact credentials are, but he's a very, very, very good swimmer. Training twice a day. Like parents want him to go to the Olympics. Good swimmer. And he says it's his moral obligation to teach her how to swim because if he hears in a few years that she drowns or something, he'll feel bad because he could have prevented it. (laughs) Very, very cute. So then Jake um, secretly is giving Rosie swimming lessons after school a couple days a week and they become friends and they become close and it's just so, so cute. Um, And it's, I mean, such a sweet little summer novella. It, you know, it took me like an hour to read. After my second vaccine appointment, But yeah, it was so, so fun. But I finished reading it and I was like, oh man, I almost wish, like, I I wanted to finish reading it and jump in a pool immediately. And I was like, I can't do that because I I don't have one. I don't have access to one in lockdown. So I was like, but I think I'm going to have to reread it by the pool and then go for an awesome summer swim and be like, oh. I wish a cute boy would teach me how to swim, even though I know how to swim. But it was so fun. I've actually ordered extra copies of this to send to friends overseas because we love an Aussie summer novel and Jenna writes them so well. Yeah. So very excited. All of Jenna's novels are, they just scream Aussie summer, all of them. (laughs) They're so good. Um, well, I am recommending another fun rom-com today. Guys, I promise we don't pre-plan this at all. Um, so I'm recommending The Couple by Helly Acton. Now, this is actually one that I listened to on audio and I loved the audio of it because one of the main characters, Ben. Sorry, I just, Michelle stopped talking awkwardly (laughs) because I just squeezed over to look at my shelf because I think I have... The Shelf by Holly Acton on my TBR, um, but not this one. So, yes, sorry this for is that interruption. Sorry okay. for that interruption. Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> this is an, her new one. Um, so it just came out this year and it is 
I, I recommend it on audio because one of the characters is Welsh and I love the way that they did the Welsh accent in oh, this. Cool. So good. Um, so imagine a world where being in a couple is not the norm. In fact, it's considered really weird if you're in a couple. Millie is a perfectionist. She's happy, successful, great support network of friends and family. She's never, ever lonely. She loves working at this big tech firm and she's on track to like get her dream job. And as I said, this is sort of a world, a society where people just don't have romantic relationships. It's considered unhealthy to have a romantic relationship. It's unnatural. It's not normal. And being in a couple is you are like social outcast if you're in a couple um down to things like you're taxed more if you're in a couple you're charged more for health insurance people look at you weird you're bullied at school all this sort of stuff and it really does make you think about how conditioned we are to be in a couple our whole lives because so much of what she weaves into this is things that you know people will say about single people and it's just a really fascinating sort of makes you stop and think but is also really fun really cute yes it is a rom-com as well but with this added layer of like huh and I just really of like you should really want that. it kind of thing exactly so much so that the company that she works for which is like sort of like a hinge tinder bumble whatever dating app they have produced a pill which if you take it will stop you from falling in love forever. It's a one and done deal. If you take it, you will never, ever fall in love. So her job is in marketing and she has to work on this campaign and part of that campaign will decide who the chief creative officer is going to be at this company. And she has to work with Ben and she's starting to kind of get weird vibes and that's the story so yeah stuff unfolds and she has to decide what she wants to do with her life oh I love this yeah (laughs) it's really really good I think you would absolutely love it and I definitely would recommend listening to it on audio for the Welsh accent because it's amazing it's so good and like I said it's um really makes you think about the way that we just assume that we should all be striving to be in a couple whereas this is yeah it's such a simple flip but the way that she sort of brings it into conversations and stuff and, um, yeah, it's wow. very clever. There you go. That sounds so I think you would love it. You yeah. would love it. Well, and now with those, you know, rom-com and rom-com but rom-com adjacent recommendation, <laughs> I suppose, uh, we have another um, rom-com to discuss in this week's interview. Please enjoy listening to us chat to a friend of the show, about his amazing new YA novel. Our guest this week is someone who has a special place in our hearts, a true friend of the show and someone we are both dying to one day have a coffee with when we're allowed to. (laughs) Our guest grew up in Ballarat and worked for 10 years as a performer touring Australia and New Zealand with musicals that we love, including Mary Poppins, Cats, Singing in the Rain and Guys and Dolls. We first spoke to him for Better Words in 2019 when he edited and published Underdog, the first hashtag Lovers YA short story collection for previously unpublished writers. 
In that same year, 2019, he also wrote a cabaret show, Siblingship, which played to sold-out audiences in several cities. He's a passionate member of the Love Oz YA community and also works in young adult publishing, so has helped us in many ways with this show. We have been very eagerly awaiting the publication of his debut novel, Anything But Fine, so we could once again say welcome to Better Words, Tobias Madden. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us again. I admit I hadn't read your full intro, Michelle. Did Underdog really only come out in 2019? Yeah, it was um, oh my March God. 2019, which honestly feels like 10 years ago. <laughs> so long ago. Feels like it's been forever. 2020 uh, was yeah. long. <laughs> Yeah, it was 10 years Yeah, <laughs> And since then, you know, you've had so many things happen. Like we mentioned, you've had siblingship. You've obviously had the novel come out as well. But you've also, I believe you weren't actually married when we talked to you last time. I think you got married as well. And you have a puppy now. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's safe to say it's been a pretty busy time since then. I think since Underdog came out, yeah, I got married completely changed careers and started working in publishing, um, got a dog, moved house maybe three times, bought a house. Um, it's just, the it's been a whole house, thing. by the way, like the cutest little <laughs> cottage, like. It's, we oh. just laugh because it has like a literal white picket fence, which is kind of <laughs> it's all too that sweet. through. <laughs> Yeah. It's very, very it's cute. So sweet. It's so, so sweet. Yes. Um, so I guess the best place to start is please introduce our listeners to Luca and Anything But Fine, because obviously we are in love with this book. Thank you. Um, so Anything But Fine is the story of Luca Mason, who's a 16-year-old, incredibly gifted ballet dancer um, who's growing up in Ballarat, which is a country town in Victoria. Um, in the first chapter, not a spoiler at all, he falls down a flight of stairs uh, and shatters all the bones in his left foot. Um, and it's a career-ending injury, so he has to stop dancing. He also loses his scholarship to his very fancy private school and has to transfer to the local public school, which kind of means saying goodbye to all of his friends, um, you know, both from school and from ballet, and kind of starting from scratch with basically no idea who he is anymore because his whole identity is so wrapped up in being a dancer. Um, and so, yeah, it's kind of... His journey of self-discovery, I guess, and, you know, navigating new friendships and falling in love for the first time um, and a bit of family drama just for fun and all of that sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, I think that's the gist of it. It's such a beautiful book. And it was so interesting because, as you said, obviously it's on the blurb, it's on the cover, he falls down the stairs. But reading that scene, I was like, oh, my God, it's so, like, tense and heartbreaking. And I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things like, and, you know, I put it in the first paragraph of the first chapter as well. There's that sort of thing where it starts with the fall and then goes back in time, like an hour and takes us through the ballet class and all the, the kind of lead up. And even now when I read the actual fall, it just makes me cringe. There's something about it, I think, particularly for anyone who, you know, is a dancer or an athlete or anyone who's had an injury like that, like you can kind of just feel it and I I love that it just makes me cringe and I I feel sick reading that passage every time but um I'm glad that you also had that reaction I think yeah I mean it means you did a good job feeling yeah it's yes you've done it correctly we freak out completely oh no what's going to happen now 
But yeah, can you tell us a bit more about where the idea for the novel came from? Because in the acknowledgements, you mentioned that there's like this very exciting afternoon where like the book just kind of, you were getting excited about it. You were like, I'm going to write a book. So did it just kind of come to you all at once? How did that happen? So my story in the underdog anthology is about a ballet dancer. It's a very different story and is more to do with internalized homophobia and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But writing that story it was the first time I'd written anything contemporary I'd only written fantasy before and I just had so much fun writing about that world that I was like oh I should write I should try something full length like I should try and think of a book that I can write about a dancer you know I am a dancer they say write what you know so I was like well maybe I should probably do that instead of making up all these fantasy lands that I definitely don't know and so then I kind of just started thinking about dance and you know what sort of things I could write about and the first line kind of just popped into my head um, which is the second it happens I know my life is over and that line has remained exactly the same throughout every single draft of the of the whole book um, you know through the whole editing process and so once I had that it kind of everything else kind of fell into place pretty easily around it I think that um, you know I didn't realize at the time but it was kind of a mirror to what I was going through that was I wrote the book you know over a year where I was also transitioning away from my performing arts career um, and into my sort of writing and publishing career and sort of dealing with my own sort of loss of that part of myself and that part of my identity Um, and so I think you know writing the book really was a way to help me deal with that even though it sounds ridiculous but at the time I had absolutely no idea that I was doing that I really thought I was just writing this story about this young dancer and you know him going through all this stuff and grieving ballet and all of that and then I don't think it was until um, I think it was like in a pitch meeting with the publisher when I was meeting with a couple of different publishers um, you know to talk about the book that I kind of had this, this clicked in my and head. I was like, oh my God. Like, oh my God. <laughs> Literally, this full epiphany. I was like, oh my God, did I write this about myself? How did I not realize this? It's really strange. Like, and it, it sounds unbelievable. Like, it just sounds like, of course, you would know that you're writing, you know, not entirely about myself, but partly about my journey. But I just, I honestly had no idea at the time. But I guess the subconscious is a powerful thing, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was what I wanted to ask about sort of the things that Luther is going through, um, the feelings he feels particularly about the like, idea of losing your identity and stuff, um, you know, whether you're a dancer or not, like so many of us can relate to that in some ways. It's just that I think usually we don't have those moments until we're like mid-20s and like we do a career change or something and then we're like, oh, my God, you know, that's what I <laughs> like. That's, you know, I had that when I left journalism. Well, sort of. I haven't really because I'm going to start again, but it was that whole thing of like, but what am I if what else? Yeah. This, if this, you know, profession? Um, so obviously Luke is going through that before most of us even realise what we really want to do in life at like 17. I know, he never um, had a chance. <laughs> I know, but, you know, he does talk about like obviously the fact that he gets angry that he spent so much time and is, you know, is it all wasted? And he didn't, I love the whole thing about, you know, didn't learn to ride a bike, didn't do so many things because he was dancing. And there's just, I guess, so much more to this than just the injury and just the physical recovery. In our last chat with you, we did talk a lot more about, you know, your career as a dancer and stuff like that. But how much of you would you say is in Luca's story? Probably not as much as, people would think I think um 
you know, dealing with his identity and stuff like that is very similar to some things that I went through. Um, and I did have a similar injury at one point when I was doing cats, um, not anywhere near as severe as Lucas, obviously. It was kind of like the most minor version of that um, where I tripped down a flight of stairs um, entering the auditorium in this part in the show where you have to like interact with the audience. Um, and I missed a step and landed directly on my toes kind of and bent it to the side oh, no. and had to limp all the way through the auditorium onto the stage and into the wings oh, it was mortifying oh. everyone would have been like oh my god what is that cat doing like, why is that cat limping that cat is no longer moving like a cat <laughs> yeah it was it was so embarrassing and so that injury is kind of a similar thing but in Lucas case it's obviously you know devastating and breaks all these bones and stuff but so there are little bits of yeah my own experiences in there and I think the the identity part of it and that kind of loss is is very much tied to my own journey but in terms of his personality and his other interests and stuff like that it's pretty different to me actually um in terms of personality I think I'm a lot more similar to Amina with her highlighters and and timetables and you know studying all the time and stuff that was me at school not so much the Luca that first scene where she hands him a color-coded timetable I was like I would have been friends with this girl in school I I, I yeah 100% I was this girl in school (laughs) this is 100% me I was not as smart as that but I color-coded my timetable (laughs) but before we move on to talking about Amina um, you know, when we meet Luca, he is openly gay. He's been out for several years. Something that is obviously a lot harder to read um, is some of the small-minded attitudes, the homophobia that he faces. And unfortunately, I guess we seem to <laughs> see it happen a lot more in regional towns. Like, you know, Caitlin and I are from regional areas. You're mm. from Ballarat as well. Mm-hmm. You know, how much of that was based on your life growing up as well, if you don't mind us asking that? Yeah, no, not at all. I mean, like, and the school thing, that also is from my own experience, but the other way around. So I started at a public school in Ballarat and eventually got offered a performing arts scholarship to one of the private schools. And so, um, you know, seeing how different the schools are in terms of facilities and the attitudes of students and the opportunities given to the students more than anything was so shocking to me moving to a private school and just being like oh my goodness is this what they have here like this science wing is like NASA like no wonder these kids are all so smart because like look at what they're given like you can't not you know it's I I was very very shocked by that and I you know that's something that I think um, I'll be very passionate about for a very long time and I did really want in the book to sort of break down some of the stereotypes about public schools and I love that it starts with you know Luca having these very strong opinions about um, North Secondary where he transfers to which are all just the sort of things that kids say about public schools and think about public schools but then he meets Amina who is just the complete opposite of of all of that and she shows him you know that there really is more to these schools kind of you know than meets the eye and so that that's something I think might filter into my work in in many different ways over the years but yeah so that's from my personal experience a bit and then growing up in Ballarat you know Ballarat's a very different place now to when I was growing up there like I'm almost 35 so like I finished school in 2005 which is like seven million years ago now which makes me feel ill Um, (laughs) and the town has come a really long way but 
you know, it is still a country town and it doesn't even have to be a country town, even in Sydney, you know, sometimes the things you hear kids say, you're, you're just like, is that, is that really what you think? And just some of the words they use and stuff, I'm like, oh, do we really still use that word? Like, that's so offensive. Like, get a new word. Like, it's just, you know, it's just a, a part of the society that we live in and it's not always, um, you know, malicious. Sometimes it's just ignorance and people don't know that, you know, a certain word is offensive and stuff like that and so yeah Ballarat's changed a lot in that sense but it is the sort of place where you know I think there's a line in the book maybe about if Luca you know wears a pink t-shirt to school that someone will you know call him gay to his face and that's definitely something that happened to me when I was younger and not even so young like when I was at uni and would go back I remember distinctly walking down the main street one day in a purple t-shirt and someone yelling out of their car at me and I was like what is happening here? Like, this is, this is insane. Um, and the, one of the other moments um, in the book that is sort of based on my experience was the first moment that Luca meets Gibbo in class when he tries to sit down next to him. Um, so that happened to me when I moved to my private school. Um, and it wasn't nearly as dramatic as that and with as many slurs, but it was that thing of me you know, walking into a classroom for the very first time and seeing a chair and trying to sit down and someone literally telling me that I wasn't allowed to sit there and having to awkwardly just find another chair and, you know, people watching the whole thing unfold. And, and I was a very nerdy child. So it was, it was just a lot to process. And that sort of, that experience stuck with me for a very long time. Yeah, um, sure. And so, yeah, so I guess maybe there's more of my own experience in there than I initially thought when I said <laughs> that it wasn't me before. See the subconscious, it does all these things. You don't it even know. It. Yeah. I know. And all those little moments are bound to come up when you're writing about a teenager at high school in Ballarat. So Yeah. Totally. As, yeah. Yeah. As they should too, because I think it's important to like share these things and talk about them and make people realize, I guess, you know, that it's not just a word. You know, how does that person actually feel? What's it like to be in their shoes and to experience that. Um, obviously, you mentioned there that the the particular incident you faced was at your private school, and I think that's another really great thing you do in this book is to show that, like you said, breaking down those stereotypes of what you know the the type of people who go to certain schools. Because on the flip side, we have Luca's other friends from ballet, this group of girls who say some incredibly racist things to Amina. Oh, so it's that sort of like... Bitchy girls. I really didn't like them. <laughs> oh, my gosh, no. So it's this, <laughs> this is total opposite, like, yeah, they have everything. They should be well-educated. They shouldn't be ignorant. So it's not like what's their excuse then, you know. there's no, There is no excuse for this sort of stuff. Um, so I guess also, like, you know, it's amazing to see Amina and Luca sort of help each other. And um, I think there is a line in there of being like, oh, I'm the first gay person she's met. But then he also realises like, oh, like, I don't know anything about her Muslim faith. Mm. Like, I don't know anything about Ramadan. Like, I don't know anything about this. So um, I really like the way that they both sort of teach each other. Was it as fun for you to write about their friendship as it was for us to read? Um, I'm so glad you liked them and that you <laughs> think that their relationship is fun because honestly, writing it was just such a dream. I just adore both of them so much and their interactions um, are just so kind of awkward and cute and that thing that I think a lot of us feel as teenagers where, you know, you're really trying your best 
to be a good person and you want to do and say the right things, but sometimes you just don't know what they are. And it's just, you know, navigating all of those, those moments can be really messy and complicated. And I think, you know, that Luca and Amina are both just so open with each other and so understanding. And I think it's just a really, really lovely friendship. And, and that's obviously led by Amina, you know, cause Luca's coming from this ballet world where friendships are kind of competitive and a little bit bitchy and it's, it has a different edge to it. Like they are very close, but you know, he says at one point that ballet was the thing that held them together. And what do they have if they don't all have that? You know, are they actually friends? Cause then he's with Amina and seeing how genuinely nice she is. And he hasn't really experienced that before, which is so sad, but you know, I think he really learns a lot from her about how to be a good friend and how to act in those circumstances. and you know, all of that stuff with, you know, him not understanding Islam and, and her faith and stuff, he, that's such a reality check for him because, you know, suddenly he has this incredibly close friend that he doesn't understand so much of her life and has to go out of his way to, you know, do some research and do the groundwork behind the scenes so that he's not constantly, you know, embarrassing himself around her or making her feel uncomfortable. And I think, yeah, it's just a really interesting dynamic. And I don't know if I anticipated it to become such a big part of the story when I wrote it. I think that, you know, my focus planning the novel was more on Luca and Jordan and their friendship and how that kind of goes. But then once Amina was there on the page, I was just like, this is too fun. They're just too nice and too great together. And I just want to write seven books about Luca and Amina just having a cute time. <laughs> I mean, yes. yes, please. I loved him. Yeah, <laughs> sweetest. Sweetest. That's so cute. I just loved her so much. And she was so, I really, there were so many things in that book that I was like, I am Amina. I was Amina in high school. I was friends with her. <laughs> I love, like, so many things about her relationship. And, oh, and how that she liked Jordan since, like, year seven or something. Oh. I was like, that's so relatable. <laughs> right, isn't it? I feel like we all that, that person. Yes, everyone. Yeah. Oh my god, it makes me cringe. I know. About it I'm like, there were so oh, many people like that. I was like, oh my god, what was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just loved her. The other character that I really loved, um, and yes, I realize we haven't even talked about Jordan yet, but I loved Luca's <laughs> dad. I think like he was very nice and very sweet and everything, but then there was a scene in the book where Luca came home something on a weekend. And he was like, dad is halfway through Toy Story 3. So I sat down and then I forgot how sad the ending is. And I was like, whose dad is watching Disney movies <laughs> on a weekend afternoon by himself? And then later on, he's watching Love Island and The Bachelor. And I was just like, oh, man, <laughs> love him. So yeah, I, I love Luca's dad. And like, I think that a lot of people that have read the book do say, oh, my God, Amina and Luca's dad. Like that, they're kind of the crowd favorites <laughs> so far. Um, and I think like Luca's dad is just a big kind of conundrum. And I kind of love that. Like there's a, a line in the book about how, you know, everyone thinks he's a plumber or something, but he's a primary school teacher because it's just, you know, he's just, he doesn't fit the mold of, of one of those stereotypes of, you know, that dad that we all kind of picture, especially in a young adult novel. I think there's a bit of a kind of type that dads often sort of get shoved into and he yeah I mean he's like part my dad he's part my mum he's part me probably a lot me 
um, <laughs> <laughs> the Toy Story. The yeah, Chucky is that what TV, you have that's to be? Kind like, of a lot, me. Like, oh, yeah, and yeah. like you know, yeah, and writing about him really kind of was me, I guess, thinking, you know, what what would I be like as a dad? Like, would I be the one who's like you know, really open and sex positive and being like, you know, bring a boy home. We'd love to meet him. You know, there's condoms in the bathroom, all that sort of stuff. Like, I just... <laughs> I love I was, that bit where he's just like, dad, no. God, and that's the thing, oh. like, kids don't necessarily want you to act like that. But I feel like, you know, in hindsight, as an adult, they would look back on that and be like, oh, oh gosh, God. I was yeah. so lucky to have someone, you know, and to have those kind of really frank conversations, even about grief and about, you know, Luca's identity and all that sort of stuff and um yeah I just he was a lot of fun to write and I just sort of went with whatever felt right and I like that he's a bit of a contradiction and people are a bit sort of you know confused by him because I think you know most people are that like it's very hard to put normal people like in a box very easily and I like that you know it's just, yeah, he's a bit of everything kind of and obviously feels a lot of feelings and is not afraid to talk about them, which I think is, you know, really cool for a dad character in a young adult novel. I think it's, yeah, I, I really like him. Yeah, you're totally right because that is real. Like, you know, he's a teacher. He, you know, watches Disney movies. Who doesn't? He, you know, has, (laughs) his son has like done ballet his entire life. So he's had to be the dance dad. Like, I'm sure there's great stories there from a few years earlier. But I actually would love like his whole backstory. Like his, I want to know more about him and Luca's mom. Like, oh, he's just the sweetest. There's so much there that I just, I need more (laughs) in my life of these people. Um, And I guess also like the father-son bond is not something that we, often get in young adult as well so it was really nice to see that explored in such a positive and like wholesome way as well yeah and it was really important to me to have that relationship with no conflict based around sexuality I just wanted it to be a complete non-issue in that home you know because it is an issue in other places and for some of the other characters at home maybe it is an issue but for Luca like I just didn't want that to be a thing like he has enough going on and he has enough to deal with without you know having that at home and I think that you know again that sort of is not the stereotypical way we might sort of see a father-son relationship in in a YA novel and I I just yeah I thought that would just be really pleasant to read and I just wanted you know my little heart just wanted him to have a nice home with his lovely dad you know yeah and just because that you know, in the past, that's often the story that's been told is like the the coming out to your parents part of that story. You know, that part of Luca's story has already happened and that's not what the book is about. And that's Yeah, totally. And that's the thing, like if we had a a prequel from, you know, Luca's dancing days and stuff, like, you know, you would see his dad probably dealing with all of that kind of dance mum stuff and that whole world and being exposed to so many things. And, you know, that's, yeah, that's a different story. Yeah, it's not what this book is about. Yeah. I also want to know in the future, like, does he start dating again? Is he oh. going to find someone? Like, I just have to, oh, he's just the best character. Um, but yeah, I think it's, I think it's really nice. Like you said, that there's not that, that conflict or anything at home. Um, what I did find interesting and what I guess took me by surprise with that was the way that I guess he dealt with a couple of different things around, you know, just sort of uh, Luca does 
act in a few ways that, you know, on reflection, he learns at the end, maybe aren't the best ways and stuff. Um, But, you know, sort of the way that it's actually his dad who's like, you need to, you know, not throw your whole life away and all this sort of stuff. Like, I loved that he was there being like, I'm worried for you. And, you know, Mm. he's, he's the one who's like fully supporting his like dance dreams and stuff like that. That was so nice to see as well. I'm so glad. And, you know, like, I don't think we have enough young adult novels where parents are really present. I think, you know, it's very easy to write adult characters out of a young adult novel because there's enough characters in it already. You know, it can be hard sometimes, but I think making Luca's dad an integral part of the story, I think was just, yeah, something very important to me in that sense because you know as teenagers your your parents and your teachers are such a big part of your life you know and Luca with his ballet teachers as well like he would be at the ballet studio almost more than he's at home so then you know those conversations they have about suddenly cutting them out of his life as well you know it really is such a big deal like they are there every step of the way your entire childhood so they're very important people and I feel like they should be in you know, present in the stories we tell about teens. I think especially too when you are an only child like Luther is as well and like I was an only child too and yeah, your parents and your teachers are literally the most important figures in your life because you don't have siblings to like bounce off or learn from. So they are the people that you are learning from and yeah, I just think you represented that really well in this. Oh, <laughs> um, so, you know, our audience obviously can't see this, but we can see the covers for both the books behind <laughs> you. Um, so, yes, the book is published in the US as well. So congratulations on that. And the cover is very different, but absolutely magnificent. So, yeah, we're always fascinated to hear about, I guess, what that editing process is like with our, you know, nerdy publishing <laughs> fascination hats on um what kind of stuff did you have to go through to change that and were there many changes with all the Aussie slang and the Aussiness of the book um I was really really lucky I have heard some horror stories from writer friends about um their US editions and US edits but um my publisher over there Page Street and my editor um were so on board with all of the Australianisms and all the Australian content which I think is, you know, very, very rare in America. Yeah. Um, but because I had, I had a full list ready to go of all of the Australian slang and things that I could change it to. I'd been talking to all my American friends, being like, what would you say instead of this? And some of them were very funny <laughs> because sometimes I'd have to do like a full explanation of the saying to try and get them to understand what I was saying because some of them just don't really there are translate so things that at we all. don't realise are such specific slang. I know. Like, there was even one, I didn't realise that Happy as Larry was an Australian thing. Is it? Yeah. Oh. And it, my my <laughs> agent was like, oh, we don't say that. Anyway, but yeah, I guess so. I think it is, but I mean, like, in America, they say Happy as a clam. Oh. Which, I mean, <laughs> I don't think that makes any sense. But I mean, who's Larry and why is he so happy? So that obviously doesn't make sense either. But anyway, the point is they were really on board with all of that. So I barely had to change any of that. We did some tweaking of really specific things like mentions of ATAR and like the kind of high school grading system and stuff like that. Just to make it like a bit more generic. Yeah, we just changed things to exams instead of, you know, that all my um, results, my high school results, that sort of stuff, rather than those kind of really specific things. Yeah. but other than that, I don't think there was really anything we changed. We did change songs to flip flop, but only because 
of the connotation. Yeah, and <laughs> very different meaning. The word appears in that crucial moment when he falls down the stairs because he he says his songs get caught on the carpet, and I was like, I can't have <laughs> anyone in America misinterpreting that even for a second because that just changes that moment completely. Completely, so. it makes it go, oh my god. Did you still get to court? Like, is it still set in Ballarat or is it like an unnamed yeah. sort of town? No, oh, cool. Like, it's, it's literally Ballarat. And like, I think, you know, Ballarat gets a couple of kind of explanations. And I think the small town vibe is very translatable in America. Yeah. So, yeah, like when I say that barely anything changed, I mean like barely anything changed, which is really, really cool. I do hope everyone understands it in America. But I mean, I've had a bunch of, kind of other authors and stuff over there read it now and no one has said that they were baffled by any of the content so hopefully it still reads well I was kind of concerned that the humor mightn't translate very well because I have a very dry sense of humor I think Luca has a very dry sense of humor um you know to the point of being like completely snarky and so I wasn't sure if that would come across funny in America or just kind of rude but I think apparently so far it's you know we're all good so hopefully hopefully everyone likes it over there it's not coming out for a few months still so it's kind of really strange um you know having the kind of big publication thing here and then waiting until the end of january next year for it to come out in the states but you know it's just so exciting it's it's a really wonderful market over there and i'm just really lucky that i have a really great editor and publisher on my side and who are sort of really championing the story for what it is in, instead of trying to sort of change it for any number of reasons. So yeah, I've been super, super lucky. Speaking of some of that feedback as well, you've had some amazing early quotes from, you know, authors you really love. How does it feel to like have that feedback? I mean, it is wild. It is absolutely wild. I like have been so blown away and we've had, you know, like a bunch more come through recently from US authors that we've been sending the book to over there. And it just, yeah, it's pretty mind-blowing. Some of the people, you know, are writers that I have looked up to since I started writing, you know, however many years ago that was. And some of them I've seen, you know, at events and stuff when I was living in Melbourne and some in Sydney. And, you know, they're the kind of people that I idolise beyond belief and their work to me is just golden. And I'm just like, oh, my goodness, if I could ever write anything that comes close to this, I would just die a happy man. And then to have than even read the book, let alone say nice things about it. It honestly is just so mind-blowing and I don't think I will ever not be just completely shocked by the whole thing. When I got the quote from Jennifer Niven, who's one of my all-time favourite authors, I was at work and I opened this email from my publisher with this quote from Jennifer Niven and I just cried at my desk in front of everyone because I I was trying to be subtle about it. I'm a very emotional person. But I just was standing there just completely overwhelmed. I didn't know what else to do rather than just cry because it's just, you know, such a, those kind of full circle moments when it's like, I, you know, adore your books. I've seen you talk about your books so many times and now you're talking about mine. It's just, it's such a weird thing and not something that I ever, ever anticipated. Um, And I feel very, very lucky and grateful to have, you know, those, those people reading my book at all, including all of the brilliant Australian authors like Gary Lonesborough and Erin Goss and Fleur Ferris and all these people who, you know, they're like royalty in Australian YA. And it's just, yeah, it's baffling. That's so lovely. I'm so happy for you. Like, yeah, it's so funny. But yeah, you're right. Because 
you know, from Underdog and Bookstagram and everything like that, you have the whole Levels by A community behind you. So everyone is so excited. <laughs> very lovely. No pressure. Yeah, no pressure, sorry. <laughs> I'm like, it's so funny because, like, I feel like we've obviously never met in person, but I feel like we sort of know you. We've been following you for ages, and I guess been following you since before Underdog came out and everything. So every time I see something like this, I'm just like, oh my God, I'm so proud. Like I'm just so <laughs> proud of you and this book. And it's amazing. It's absolutely brilliant. And you know, we're not just saying that because you're on the property. Like genuinely, we were both texting each other, just being like, this book is like, this is us. This is our sort of book a hundred percent. And I'm, you know, I'm really glad that you switched to writing contemporary because we absolutely adore contemporary. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. I tell you what. Me too. Yeah, we both messaged each other. We were like, this is so good. And then I was like, I'm only 50 pages in. And Michelle was like, oh, me too. Like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, me too. And I've already messaged Tobias and told him that. Uh, so like, no pressure. <laughs> but yeah, I just, yeah, I just devoured it. And it's again, like I, we both love those books where you are immediately inside the character's head. And I think Luca just comes to life so much. And I loved his snarky side. I really did. I thought it was great. <laughs> I think it's definitely um, relatable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He has every right to be snarky. Um, I'm glad that he sort of changed his mind about a few things towards the end. But at the same time, I was like, I get you. That's yeah. fine. You can be snarky <laughs> right now. You're allowed been to be. Through a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, we mentioned earlier as well. You know, it's been a few years since Underdog came out. Not as many as we thought that it had, because the world moves at a crazy <laughs> pace these days, um, mm -hmm. <laughs> both fast and slow. It's weird. Um, how do you feel looking back on that, and how did that prepare you for this whole process of publishing your novel? And did it help in any way? I mean, I think it helped in every way possible. Like that, you know, that anthology was kind of, you know, my baptism by fire into the whole world of publishing and editing and writing. Like I hadn't written very much at that point either. I'd written one full length fantasy manuscript um, and, you know, a bunch of random short stories and stuff. So that was, you know, just such a steep learning curve in every possible way. Um, and I... I think mainly I just learned so much from reading and working on the other stories with the other writers. I think, you know, having to delve into how they have, you know, structured their stories and the characters they've created. I just, yeah, I, I can't explain how much I learned from that process. And then publishing the book and going through that whole side of things obviously is, you know, a whole different kettle of fish. And I think definitely has prepared me for some of, you know, this publication journey. Um, it also got me my job in publishing. So, you know, I have it to thank for that as well. It was a pretty, pretty life-changing thing, really, that anthology for me. And I think hopefully, you know, for some of the other authors as well, you know, there's been a few who've gone on to be traditionally published, which is amazing. And they're all so, so talented. And I hope they all write books because they're all brilliant. And it's, yeah, it's been a wild ride. Like there are, I've done a couple of school visits quite recently actually um, for schools who their year 10 students are studying the short stories because I think there's a short story mm -hmm. unit in year 10 maybe and so I know there's a bunch of schools who are kind of working on it like that now which is just insane for me That's and so you know cool. yeah and visiting them and being able to answer kind of all their questions about the anthology has been really really special and hearing the kids responses is amazing because you know kids have to study a lot of um 
old texts at yeah. school. <laughs> yes. And the general response, you know, from the teachers and the students was just how much they loved reading about like right now and how much the kids could see themselves in all the stories and how much that made it more engaging for them to study, which is really, really cool. Um, one of the short stories, uh, Sophie's short story, Breathe Me In, Sophie McDonald, there was a section from that that was used um, as the New South Wales HSC creative writing stimulus on their exams for the year oh 12 last year. Which That's awesome. I, it's, it's just mind-blowing to me that, you know, it's found that kind of place and that reach, you know, within the education community. And I think like that's been, you know, one of the biggest um, kind of sales channels for the book has been schools and education accounts and stuff, which I think is really, really cool because that's who you write these stories for. They're for teenagers and students and to have them actually reading them and kind of like at school. Yeah. And, you know, talking about it all together in class and stuff, it just like, it just makes my heart so happy knowing that, you know, there's people, you know, reading it and appreciating it. And, you know, obviously there's been a lot of readers kind of in the Love Eyes Way community as well, which is amazing adult readers, um, which is so beautiful. But yeah, I think, you know, reaching those kids at school is really, really cool. Yeah. And you know what, the amazing thing about that too is that it shows them that it's possible as well because this was a collection of previously unpublished writers. It is literally like the next generation of writers. And, you know, Caitlin and I couldn't stop praising the the short stories in this book as being you know some of the best we've ever read and all from previously unpublished writers so I guess that sort of shows teenagers especially that you know it's not out of their reach it's not something that's just for you know Jennifer Niven or you know big people John Green you know these people who have become such big names in YA and it feels like you as an ordinary person could never write that sort of thing so for them to be studying that you know that that kind of shows that yeah ordinary people can write these things yeah totally and you know like doing some workshops with these students like the talent is baffling like some of these (laughs) kids like you know you give them just a little sort of creative writing stimulus and some of the ideas they just blow my mind like the things that they think of and where their brain goes it's just it's astonishing and it's just I really hope that they do like you said read these stories and and go oh being a, a writer or an author is not this kind of lofty you know position in the world it's just anyone can do it you just have to write you just have to have a story and literally anyone can do that and I think you know, it's really easy to forget that all of the most famous authors in the world at one point had nothing published. Like, yeah, everyone just writing start somewhere. by themselves. Yeah, they were just writing and, you know, fan fiction and whatever gets people in. They're just <laughs> yeah. they're doing what they love. And then suddenly they're, you know, a New York Times bestselling author. And, and we see them as that. But it's like they have to start somewhere. So Yeah. And um, Stephen King's memoir on writing is really good for, like, pointing that out. And just, like, all the times he got rejected or paid like really small amounts was like riding in a caravan and stuff and then he gets this call about like the movie rights selling and stuff and he's just like oh my god like his life changes but yeah that's someone who is literally iconic and just started that way started writing for magazines and stuff so yeah yeah, it's amazing and yeah I do hope that you do another underdog in the future yeah I don't know I yeah I'd I'd love to do it again in the future it was so much fun and just such a nice thing you know, to be able to do and um, to lift up other, you know, aspiring writers and stuff. And I think it would have a different kind of 
vibe now, you know, now that I do have my own book and stuff, I think it might be, um, I guess, maybe even easier to get people to submit and stuff like that. So it's definitely something that I would consider in the future. It's, I guess, just finding the time. <laughs> Apparently having a full-time job and trying to be a writer is pretty time consuming, which is what I'm I now mean, learning. <laughs> oh, and I guess yeah, that's the other thing. How did your job in publishing prepare you for actually going through that process yourself? Um, like, I, again, I think it helped in so many different ways. And some of them I probably don't even realise. But I think one of the main things that has helped me as a writer working in publishing is just that I read so much more widely now. Obviously, I'm a huge YA fan and I still read a lot of YA, but I've had to read some pretty like literary things and nonfiction things and you know crime and and just kind of everything because I work on all of our titles doing you know social media and stuff like that and so I think just having that kind of scope of of writing and stories in general has been so helpful even though I can't see myself ever writing anything but YA I think it just you know the more you read the more you have to draw upon you know no matter even if it's just in the back of your head, having some of that other knowledge or other people's work, it just kind of fills up your own well of creativity, I guess. So that's been really helpful. And I do think that knowing about, you know, the sales and marketing side of publishing is really helpful, not necessarily when you're writing. I think when you're writing, you should definitely not think about that at all. No. <laughs> you just need to tell your story. But I think once you get into editing and pitching and stuff like that, having that knowledge of how books are actually sold and, and what gets them on a shelf, I think can be really handy, particularly if it's, you know, when you're editing and you know you need to cut something down from 200,000 words to a nice 75,000 word young adult <laughs> novel. I think that that can be really handy, just, you know, knowing that there are certain things that will make it a lot easier and more accessible for for a lot of people I think is really handy. We also should be really clear and ask you because we always do ask people this but just because you work in publishing does not mean that you automatically get published so you know you had to pitch and go through the process just like everybody else right? Yeah very much so um, and I think you know like I said I think some of the background knowledge can be helpful um, and I think on my query letters to agents having that I work in publishing maybe you know makes them stop and, and take another look. Um, but it, you know, it's definitely not a deal breaker. No one really cares because the manuscript is the only thing that speaks to anyone that has to do all of the work. Um, so yeah, I had to, you know, do the same process as everyone else and, and query agents and land an agent and then start pitching to publishers and all of that sort of stuff. And, um, you know, I was, I was very lucky. It was a kind of a dream run in terms of all of that falling into place and I ended up with two absolutely phenomenal publishers but yeah I don't think working in publishing is very handy but it's definitely not going to get you a book deal it's not a golden ticket no yeah. no I, unfortunately there are no golden tickets maybe unless you're really famous so if you can Barack Obama <laughs> yeah like if you can become the prime minister or win like an academy award then maybe you'll probably get offered a book deal. publish a book yeah. that would be fine but I feel like those goals are even harder than getting a book published so maybe just <laughs> focus on, on just your focus writing on the writing and, and, yeah, and go that way <laughs> Yeah, that might be the easiest thing. Yeah. <laughs> I guess our other thing we wanted to ask you about, just because we're interested, is siblingship. The yeah. co-wrote, 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 right? Yeah, so that, yeah, co-wrote. So um, I wrote that with 
my husband Daniel and his sister Chiara. So it's um, they were in the show. I was not in the show. I was just behind the scenes. Um, and the show is based largely on their childhood. So it has a lot of um, hilarious home video content that you just honestly would not think is real. These kids just had the funniest childhood because they grew up on stage, like literally. And so there's just a wealth of hilarious things and hilarious stories. And so it was just something that they, you know, a real passion project for them that they wanted to perform together because, you know, they're both professional music theatre performers, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they'll ever be in a show together. So they, you know, they both had a bit of spare time and they wanted to put on a show. And so, yeah, I was there to sort of help sift through all of their stories and make sure that, you know, we presented it with a proper kind of narrative that would be relatable to everyone because it's not fun to just watch people kind of sit and reminisce about about their their childhood (laughs) yeah you know no matter how funny it is that's not something you want to sit through for an hour so it was kind of yeah we just kind of laid everything out on the table all of every sort of little piece of their journey um and then yeah sifted through and and put it into a, a story that we thought you know people would connect with because you know so many people have siblings and so many of um Daniel and his sister's stories we realized were things that everyone experienced but theirs was just in a very dramatic very you know on stage way where you know everyone's everyone fights with their siblings everyone loves their siblings all these you know different things and you know the dinner table the this the that the cleaning up the chores like everyone goes through that but it was yeah their version of those events were just hysterical and like there's nothing made up in the show which also makes me laugh like it's all true some of it was dramatized a little bit but we didn't have to put in any fake scene to to sort of give it that full dramatic arc and and the climax and stuff it just yeah. it was Not, all there which this I was think, inspired you know, by our childhood this was our childhood no, literally <laughs> directly from it. and there's a few bits in the show where it's like you know whatever's happening on stage is mirrored directly with that kind of home video footage as evidence that it, that it actually was happening and you know the, the show was so much fun to put together like working with people that I really love and telling their story was really special like I got to know so much more about their childhood you know and, and get to know them even better and I think you know writing the script was really fun because I know how they both talk so I didn't have to create a voice I could write it in both of their voices because I know them so well so it was it was just really fun and then you know it was so well received and everyone you know really enjoyed it and they're both incredibly talented so there's really nothing not to enjoy watching them on stage you know and we did our own sort of little mini tour of Sydney and Canberra and Melbourne and it was just yeah really fun and you know we had parents and aunties helping move furniture and it was just you know it was it was a big family affair and it was very very fun and so so rewarding that's so amazing I love that so much yeah do you think that you would write anything again like that in the future like obviously you know not necessarily family related stuff but do you think you'd go back into the world of musical theatre or theatre in general I would love to I think yeah eventually you know I would love to work on a musical as a book writer I don't have any songwriting skills whatsoever um so I couldn't do that I'm not like the full Lin-Manuel Miranda that's not my vibe um but I would definitely love to work on the script of something or even a play you know without music but it's um you know it's obviously a very tough time right now for theatre 
So that might be something, you know, down the track. But I think, you know, I think my writing style in general, like even in novel format is so dialogue heavy and feels almost like a script with some descriptions in between here and there. So I think that it would, you know, be something that I would really enjoy to write a script. And so hopefully one day, um, yeah, I'd love to work on, you know, like an original Australian musical or something with some other really talented songwriters and stuff like that. I think it'd be really, really fun. So we'll see one day. That would be awesome. That would be amazing. <laughs> we need we need this to happen. Yeah, we I just had a, this in the future. I just had a very random thought, and obviously you get to veto this because you wrote the book. But if anything but fine was a play, there could be like dream dancer sequences in the background. <laughs> I'm trying to think of an example. The only thing I can think of is like the Greek chorus in Legally Blonde. How the Delta News are always with her. <laughs> Which is a weird yeah, example. I definitely can but... see it on stage. I think it'll be very yeah. funny. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we obviously both follow you on social media. We've seen that you're working on other novels as well. Can you tell us anything about what else you're working on? Because we are eagerly, no no pressure, I'm just eagerly ask waiting. Everything I've ever worked on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I've got a couple of projects on the go. One is. Um, sort of almost ready to be sent to my publisher and my editor and and see if they like it hopefully they do um which I was working on sort of for the last like you know oh I think maybe like a year now it's August isn't it yeah so probably the last year I've been working on this one um it's another contemporary YA also set in Ballarat um I wanted to sort of stay in that world I have kind of this dream idea of having like three YA novels that are all kind of within the same world, but standalone, completely separate um, books. Um, so it's set in Ballarat again. And I can't say too much, but it combines my kind of greatest loves as a teenager, which were computer games and community theatre. So awesome. um, it's been so much fun to work on. And I really hope it becomes a real book because, yeah, I've just, I've had an absolute ball writing it. It's a, a lot of, you know, theatre references and um, very nerdy, nerdy things as well. So that's been really fun. And then I have started planning book three, hopefully hypothetical book three. And that one is in the very early stages. So I probably can't say very much at all. But yeah, it takes place after school, this one. So um, anything but fine. The protagonist, Luca, is in year 11, book two they're in year 12 and then ideally I thought this one they kind of fly the nest um, and we see what happens directly after school because I think that's a really um, kind of important time for you're taking you know, the words teens. right out of our mouth yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think we, we always say right. this we love it yeah and I don't think there's quite enough books about that time because it's you know of course teenagers love reading about school and we all love reading about school because school is fun but I do think that you know, if you're 16, 17, you know, you're probably wanting to see what happens next. And so I do think that um, we should be writing a lot more about that year after school, whether it's a gap year or uni or whatever, whatever happens next for people. I think that um, for some reason, there's a weird thing against that. I don't really know why. Yeah, like whether it counts industry. as YA or not. Yeah. And people have this like that weird, like new adult genre, which I don't think necessarily needs to be a separate thing I think you can just have it as a YA novel with older characters you know we as teenagers 
and looking at teenagers now, like we know what they watch on Netflix. We know the other media they consume. And it's not always about a 17-year-old. Like sometimes it is, but sometimes it's about grown-ups. And I think we should be able to write why a novel plenty with older of characters, adult, you know. very literary or not even books with child or teenage characters that are not yeah. YA. So what's the difference? Yeah. <laughs> write YA are. about adults. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know. Just it's, a, it's a weird adults. thing. <laughs> yeah. It's a weird thing. And I think, yeah, I think partly it's to do with, you know, who's um, the gatekeepers of the books and who's giving them to the teenagers and stuff and, and their perception of what kids should be reading. Um, but, you know, I know talking to sort of my younger cousins and, you know, the kids that I meet in schools and stuff that they're, a lot of them read just adult novels anyway. So, yeah. you know, what's, if you're 17 and you're reading like war and peace like you know you can read a YA novel about yeah. university it's not yeah good point let's look at the thing. other books we're making kids read in high yeah, school yeah I mean like <laughs> I've said a lot of times that my school library didn't have it was like a children's section and then there wasn't really a teen or YA section so I went straight on to adult books and I was reading adult books you know from when I was like 15 mm. um and it wasn't until I discovered like the book blogging and the Love Oz YA community before it was way before it was Love Oz YA that I was like, oh, there's this thing called Young Adult and, you know, there's these Australian books that are like really good and everyone is talking about these Australian young adult books that I wish I'd read when I was a teenager. But um, on this subject, we'll recommend Alice Oseman's Loveless, which mm-hmm. is amazing. And also when you mentioned having things set in like the same world, it immediately made me think of Alice Oseman, the way that her books like there may be one character that like crosses over and it's all sort of set yeah. in the same world. I love that. Um, and then the other ones that I know Caitlin and I have read and talked about, Untidy Towns by Kate O'Donnell is that mm-hmm. sort of, I think she might be maybe in year 12 though, but it's very much that like after school, it's like, it's really on that cusp. And then the one that we are really excited for later in the year is Social Cue by Kay Kerr as well, which yes. is that we, and we discuss that whole, like, what do you do after school thing with her? So those are some that come to mind. If, if you're listening to this going, yes, I need more of this in my life. Yeah, read them all. Those ones read are amazing. Yeah. Do you have any other sort of recommendations in that respect for books that have really stood out to you? Um, as in like after school ones? Yeah. Oh my God, my I'm brain thinking. probably won't work right now. I think um, <laughs> uh, Nina Kenwood's It Sounded Better in My Head is that period yes. after exams and stuff, which is so yes. good. And it doesn't happen over a very long period of time, the whole book. It's just that kind of waiting for results and stuff, which yeah. I think is a really amazing thing to write about because that, that time when you finish exams at school and you're in that weird limbo, that's a fantastic book. So um, that's definitely yeah. a recommendation. What yeah, we love that just one. just read another book that's set in that before exams time too, and I cannot for the life of me remember what it oh, is. Oh, was it um, uh, Henry Hamlet's Heart? Oh, yes, of course. Yes, by Rhiannon Wilde. Yes. Another beautiful, beautiful book, and that one's that same thing, and that's in Brisbane, and, like, I have spent a lot of time working in Brisbane with musicals, and I love Brisbane, and so reading about that. Good old Q Park. Like, even, you know, reading about South Bank and, like, the... um, The Purple Flowers. Thing. I was yeah. like, oh my god, this is just like you. It was so visceral. My reaction to that book, I was like, oh, we're in Brisbane. This is so great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love that. Oh, I yes. love that. We love that book. Every time yeah. I walk down that, 
So, so I've never lived in Brisbane. I've only ever visited, and most of the time I've been visiting to see a musical. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> but like there at South Bank, every time I walk under those flowers, it's just like every other time I've been there and what show I was seeing and who I was with and friends and everything. All the memories. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We are absolutely so over the moon to be able to tell people finally to read this book. I know, it's actually um, finally out in the world now. Well, it's I know. <laughs> it's thing. Oh my goodness. Um, where can people find and follow you online? Um, so I'm on Instagram, um, Tobias underscore Madden, and I, I'm also on Twitter on that same handle, but I am not very good at Twitter. <laughs> I don't use it it's very right. much. Everybody says the same thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm like kind of one of those people who's like, oh, I should get it. But I um, don't put in a huge amount of effort over there. But Instagram, I love and I love connecting with people um, over there. So if you if you do find me, please say hello. Um, I love all of the chat. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for and having congratulations. me. Congratulations. So chat. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Better Words. You can chat to us on Instagram at betterwordspod. And follow me, Michelle, at Unfinished Bookshelf. And me, Caitlin, at Just a Bookish Babe. If you liked this episode, please share it with a book-loving friend and leave a rating or review.